in sharing mm-hmm. what your life is really like and what you're struggling with and your victories and your defeats, you'll be amazed at how many people would suddenly start to want to follow you. Welcome to the Exponential Groups podcast. I'm your host, Alan White. This podcast is designed to help you take the guesswork out of groups. In each episode, you will discover effective ways to recruit more leaders, form better groups, and make more disciples. Please subscribe to this monthly podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to episode eight of the Exponential Groups podcast. I have to admit that fall 2021 is not what we expected. If you're like me, then you're longing for the good old days of 2019. As my childhood pastor, who's now 93 years old, says, the world has changed. The church has changed. It's not like it used to be. We have to do things different. He's 93 and he gets it. Now, in the last 18 months, you've seen a shift. Online worship services have come to the forefront. People who are far from God are watching online and getting saved as a result. In fact, pastors across the country are telling me that while in-person worship attendance is down, giving is steady and salvations and baptisms are up. Engaging online participants is a big factor in sharing the good news and helping people find their next steps. In today's episode, we're drawing from a webinar we did in October 2020 with Phil Cook. Phil has a unique resume. He has a PhD in theology and is an active producer in Hollywood. Phil was executive producer of Let Hope Arise, the Hillsong movie released in theaters nationwide, and the producer of The Insanity of God, a feature documentary that premiered nationally as a Fathom event. He's the founder of the Cook Media Group and is the author of several books, including his most recent, Maximize Your Influence, How to Make Digital Media Work for Your Church, Your Ministry, and You. You can find the show notes to this episode at alanwhite.org slash episode eight. Please welcome my guest, Phil Cook. Phil, I'm a discipleship guy. You're a media guy, but you didn't start out a media guy. Tell us a little bit about where you came from and how you got your start. I'm actually a preacher's kid. I started out, I've been involved. I was telling somebody the other day, I've been involved behind the scenes in church life my entire life. My dad was a pastor in Charlotte, North Carolina. That's where I grew up. Went to a Christian college, ended up with a PhD in theology, even though I don't have any calling to teach or preach in a school situation or in a church. And so, um, but I've always loved, been passionate about telling the story. You know, that classic movie from years ago, The Greatest Story Ever Told. We're telling the greatest story ever told, but I find most churches don't tell that story very well. And particularly in the digital age we live in, I've seen it quoted that, in fact, I quote in the book that the the transformation to this digital revolution will eventually have much more impact than the print revolution. Um, So I think that we need to understand that uh, we need to learn to speak this language. It's so important. The average person, I saw a statistic recently that the average person sees about 10,000 media messages every single day. So our enemy, as far as the church is concerned, is really clutter. People are getting overwhelmed with media messages. So how do we cut through that clutter? How do we get our message noticed? How do we get on people's radar? That's really, I think, the greatest challenge we face in the culture today. So you, you've, come, you've come a long way from being preacher's kid. And, and I, I'm, I'm just going to venture and guess there aren't a lot of, there aren't very many PhDs in theology in Hollywood. Well, it's funny. I was interviewed on CNN a few years ago, and uh, Paula Zahn, who was the reporter at the time, said um, she introduced me as the only working producer in Hollywood with a PhD in theology. And I think to this day, she's right. So well, maybe <laughs> one other. I don't know. But uh, well, it's pretty we're, lovely we're, business, that's for sure. Yeah, we're glad that you're there. We're glad that you're there. Now, <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's interesting that I think we as the church need to stop looking at Hollywood as the enemy mm-hmm. and start thinking about Hollywood as a mission field. You know, I think yeah. if we are going to change Hollywood, it's time to stop criticizing and start sending missionaries out there. So I, I have a real passion for reaching out to Hollywood and looking at it like a, a mission field rather than the enemy as we classically do. Absolutely. Because I think when it, once it gets down to it, we're, we're all just people. So, you know, and... And in Hollywood, there's, I think there's no question, Hollywood's the most influential thing in the world. It's the most influential industry in the world, certainly. Maybe gaming, maybe, you know, technology would compete, but Hollywood is pretty influential. So if we could have an impact there, it would have a huge influence in the culture today. Yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right. Now, in your book, you said, think before you produce. Ask the why before you explore the how. Now, how does this increase the impact 
of on digital ministry? Well, it's interesting. A lot of churches are just doing it kind of in a scattershot way. I think, honestly, one of the biggest challenges I find with churches across the country is we're aiming all our guns in different directions. So, for instance, the pastor will get up and preach on a Sunday. Well, that following week, the social media is telling a different story. The video guys are telling a different story. The e email blast is telling a different story. The website, the print materials, all the different platforms of communication going out from that church are all telling different stories. So it's like going into battle and aiming your guns all in different directions. You're going to make no impact whatsoever. And the churches that are really, really influencing the culture, the ones that are growing, the ones that are making the most impact, generally aim their guns all in one direction, which means... We have a reason for doing this. We ask the why. We, we want to have a bigger strategy than just tell Bob to go out and do a video or Susan to build a new website or Sam to go to the social media. We're all unified and really trying to amplify that. Seth Godin, you know, the marketing expert, said that repetition builds trust. And so the more we can get on the same page, the more we can get our media platforms unified, I think the bigger impact ultimately we're going to make for whatever purpose you're trying to achieve. Now, you and I were talking earlier and we were mentioning, we, we both watch a lot of online services on TV. Oh, yeah. I, I guess we don't have a Netflix subscription or something. I don't know. We just, you know. But um, we're, we're seeing a lot of mixed results. And so let's talk specifically about what I'm seeing is that the big room doesn't translate very well to the small screen. Um, tell us kind of what you're seeing, the good, the bad, the ugly of it, and what we could do to improve that. Well, that's actually a brilliant observation. And what, one of the things you'll find working in Hollywood is I do, when a producer like me or someone else buys the rights to a book to turn that book into a movie, you don't film the book. If you did, it would be a 99-hour movie. You have to take that book and figure out how to adapt it so it works well as a movie. So you change scenes around, you delete scenes, you create composite characters, you eliminate some characters. You adapt that to a different platform. And what we saw early on with the church shutdown six months ago, churches were initially trying to duplicate online what they do on Sunday. So you saw the pastor preaching from the pulpit. You saw the, the worship team up on the stage, sometimes the choir. But it was funny. I saw one church that they had a... 40 voice choir, but they were trying to be socially distanced. So they, they went from the choir loft to the stage to the first five rows of the congregation. It was just, it just looked weird. And that's what happens when you just try to duplicate what you did in the service. So what I'm a big proponent of is we need to learn to adapt. Just like a Hollywood producer adapts a book into a movie, we need to learn how to adapt what worked in the service to what will work online. One of the funny things I saw over and over was, very early in the shutdown, pastors would preach to the camera, which is great. But then in the middle of their sermon, they'd go over here like they're preaching to this crowd. And then they go over here for a while like they're preaching to this crowd. And yet we all know nobody's in the building. You know, what are you doing? Don't fake it. Just your 100% of your congregation is right there on camera. So let's focus everything where they are because that's what will make an impact. So just learning to adapt to a new medium is a really big hurdle for a lot of churches, but it's absolutely important. And that's, I think, one of the, the hard things. I think we did better when nobody was in the building. Yes, we did. Because and everybody was behind the camera. But then, you know, having been a pastor now for 30 years, if you have people there in your, in your sanctuary, you want to talk to the people. Then the realization is there are far more people out there than there are in here. But I can't ignore the ones that showed up. Yes. So I, I'm almost challenging people. You know, 40 years ago, we had a traditional service and we had a contemporary service. Right. Right. And uh, Stuart Briscoe says you never want to mix traditional and contemporary because you end up with contemptible. <laughs> so good. thanks for laughing. <laughs> it's his joke. I thought it was pretty good. So to me, it's like now people are coming in the building. You have an in-person service to them. So you're not looking over their heads, looking at the cameras. But then you do an online service, maybe where you're only speaking to the camera. Right. I don't know how practical that is for churches. Let me give you an idea of what some people are doing. And, it, and that's a great question again, because we're going through something we've never experienced before. And, you know, early on in the shutdown, pastors would call me and say, you know, what should I be doing? What should I be doing? How should I do this? Mm -hmm. And I can give them tips and suggestions, but this is the, we have no benchmarks. This has been the first time and certainly in my lifetime and ever that 100% of the congregation was on the other side of that camera. So now, so, so I, from early on, 
encourage pastors and communication leaders and media people to experiment, try different things. For instance, we discovered that generally speaking, it's very much like, like broadcast television. Early on, the audience during the praise and worship segment of a live stream was fairly transient. They would come and they would go, they would come and they would go. But once the message started, they tended to lock in for that message. Mm -hmm. So you want to have the praise and worship because it's an online worship experience. However, I'm encouraging pastors experiment, maybe shorten that online worship segment, get to the sermon sooner. Uh, some pastors I know have extended the worship segment because their people really like it. So mm -hmm. there is nothing sacred here. There's no, nothing written in stone. So first of all, experiment and now we're getting into a whole new phase is we start you know slowly letting people back certainly in california we can't let anybody back yet yeah. unless we're doing outdoor services but in places like texas and north carolina and south carolina they're starting to let people in and i think it, you're exactly right about audience and this is an interesting thing because i do a lot of broadcast television of church services and m big meetings and stuff I like showing the audience. In many ways, your audience shots are marketing tools because mm. first of all, the guy sitting at home watching, if he sees a big crowd, he's gonna think, wow, a lot of guys go listen to that guy. Maybe I should too. Uh, if he sees people really tuned in and paying attention, he's going to think, wow, maybe I need to really pay attention here because he sees reflected. Plus, you want to show a diverse audience. You know, you want to show that everybody's welcome to your church. And I never want to show empty seats because why transmit that nobody comes? And that's because that's what people will think. Yeah. So I go back to that a lot as we're looking at, at services. And I'm encouraging people not to show the audience right now because there's too many empty seats. There's too many big, wide, empty spaces. And it's subtly kind of telegraphing to the audience that people aren't coming. Even though we know you have to have a stage re-entry, showing empty seats is just not a good idea simply because it's going to kind of telegraph a message that not many people are listening to this guy preach. And so I think that's problematic. So it's worked so far uh, without showing the audience in a live stream environment. So I think until we can get a pretty big audience back again, I probably would hesitate to really show the audience. Plus, remember, people are at home watching, which means, you know, when they're in the service, they're captive. We have them in the middle of a long row of seats or a pew, and they can't exactly get up and escape. Mm -hmm. But at home, there are a million distractions. The kids are running oh, around, yeah. eating breakfast, they're getting dressed. <laughs> so we have to be more compelling than ever during a live stream. Yeah, I got in trouble the other day during watching the service uh, because I, I got on my phone for a minute, which is usually more than a minute. And yes, my wife shushed me. And I think the message was about conflict and she was about to use it on <laughs> me. But anyway, that's how that goes. Now, for most churches, you know, when you think about if they have a couple of cameras, um, they have the regular stage lighting, they have the regular sound equipment. Um, how could they kind of improve their online presence without spending a fortune on new equipment? Well, it's really pretty easy. Um, we just need to understand that a live worship experience, a live stream is not a, a, a major television special. It's not a Hollywood production. In fact, I'm telling people a lot, an effective live stream should be a little rough around the edges. We want that mm. authentic feeling about it. I know, I know one church that has a big budget. It's a very large church. Their live stream is amazing, but it's, it, it doesn't feel right. It feels like it's produced for television. It's just a little too slick. And so I just think a live stream needs to feel like it's live, even if you're pre-taping, which a significant number do. And by the way, for what it's worth, I've seen no evidence whatsoever that pre-taping your live stream or doing it live live is any better as far as response is concerned. I, I know some pastors are nervous about things going wrong, so they like to pre-tape. Others mm -hmm. love the rush of being live like we are right now. And so I think that it's up to a local pastor and his team to decide, and there's no evidence either way. However, I do think um, we, we should try to elevate the quality of what we do, but we don't have to worry so much about being technically perfect. I know some churches that are doing an effective live stream pretty much with an iPhone stuck to a pole sticking up out in front of the pastor. So, And, and keep in mind, by the way, that there are two film festivals in America right now for movies made on iPhones. People understand the technology and they're adapting to it. So I don't think we have to worry so much that we don't have five or six cameras and are doing it in a big Hollywood way. I think the importance is what is the message we're sharing and how we're doing it. And that's the key.
Yeah, no, I think that's that's great. And I think what we see even with in various stages this year with different live TV, whether it be news or other programming, um, there's just a lot of experimentation. And some of it's a little flawed. Some of it you feel like it's kind of behind the scenes and yeah. you, you, you're you in a celebrity's home. And But you know what? All of that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Absolutely. Well, you know, it's funny. We talked this morning that uh, before the broadcast that uh, I'm in a hotel. You caught me on the road. I'm in a hotel room. We've been filming all week and I'm in a hotel room. I just think it's interesting that you can come from just about anywhere. You don't have to come from a pulpit. You don't have to come from mm-hmm. the stage. There's so many ways to engage the audience today that um, I think it's really important. I would say this, that research indicates that when you use graphics on screen during your live stream, people remember three times more. So whether it's scriptures that you put on there, the pastor's sermon notes, keywords or phrases. Remember, we're used to seeing on-screen graphics with baseball games, football Mm -hmm. games, the news, certainly. People, it doesn't bother people. And so I would encourage people, if they have the capability, at whatever budget level you may be, if you can highlight certain key thoughts or scriptures, that always is a real plus with people's ability to remember stuff. No, that's, that certainly helps. And, And some of it, even if they're not doing professional stuff, some of the prosumer stuff, that's out there or some of the apps online uh, are getting better and better. Um, But yeah, I think you're right to, to, before you think, Oh, I've got to get, get all these equipment and all this expertise to do something. I think it's better it's better to do something that's on target, you know, than, than to avoid that. So, And even, you know, back to my comment about adapting, you don't have to be from the pulpit at all. Keep in mind, a lot of the most successful live streams are a pastor sitting at a bistro table on a stool uh, in his living room or in some other building on campus. Um, think about, adapt, you know, what, what is going to be the most effective right here with this camera. And another thing, too, is keep in mind that particularly when it comes to the message, a pastor's emotion, the power, the compelling nature of what he's saying is right here in his face. That's, mm-hmm. where, that's where we see your expression. So dump the wide shots. I, I know churches, this baffles me for some reason. I watch so many. I watch 10 or 15 live streams every Sunday. And I see so many that are shooting wide shots. I don't need to see the stage. I don't need to see the piano. I don't need to see the plants. I want to be right here because this, and keep in mind too, that a lot of people are watching from a phone or a tablet or a computer. And so you're already small in, in, on this screen. So if I'm shooting you in a wide shot, you're going to be a dot on there and nobody's mm-hmm. going to be able to tell what your facial expressions are. So keep in mind that we want to get tighter than normal. Certainly if I was doing a television special, I might want to put wide shots. Right now in a live stream environment, keep it tight because that helps people really connect with the emotions that you're trying to convey in your message. That's good. That's very good. And I've seen, you know, if it's more, the wider shot makes you feel like you're observing something instead of participating in something. Whereas if you look at newscasters, I mean, you look at where we are now and kind of how we're framed and you're in your hotel. I'm in the corner of my bedroom. Um, so my wife has me sitting in the corner, but sometimes I'm outside. But anyway, um, I think it 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 plays into that. I think just to pay attention to what other media is doing. But the one thing I've seen with just this era of the pandemic, that ever since March 15th, I mean, everything has been wide open for experimentation. Yes. And I even joke with churches that I'm coaching. If you want to try something and it doesn't work, then just say, oh, we were doing that because of the pandemic. We'll never do that again. But if you do something that ends up working, you just, you know, take all the credit for it. Why not? That's so true. And I'm I'm an advocate that every church in America needs to have a research and development department. Let's have some guys. Their purpose, their 100% purpose is to experiment and try new things, whether it's a new website template or a new email strategy or a new live stream, you know, way to do the live stream. Let's constantly be, we've got to get away from failure being failure. Failure is mm-hmm. the next step towards success. And so I love trying, particularly right now during the pandemic, as I said, we have no benchmarks, no rules to go by. So we're going we're gonna to do the best if we have a free, open environment where people, you know, feel comfortable trying new things. Yeah, and they probably are members of their congregation that have expertise in some areas that maybe they don't, yeah. they could learn from. Now, in your book, you, you share a quote from Douglas uh, Engelbart. I love his quote, that the digital revolution is far more significant than the invention of writing or even of printing. Now, how do you see this playing out at the church? The sec- follow-up is how can pastors keep their people engaged online? I think that's a great question. I, I tell a lot of pastors that 
your weekly live stream service is only the beginning. You know, mm -hmm. most people feel like that's the, the the peak. It's really the beginning. And I'm encouraging pastors, let's go on, on Instagram Live, let's go on Facebook Live once, twice, three times even during the week and stay connected to people. As you know, um, the minute you go on Instagram Live, it sends a notification out to all your followers. The same with Facebook Live. And just be out there and share, talk, give people an update of what's going on. We just need to continue the conversation. I, I think it's so important now that we understand that, you know, we're separated. We're not, being, we're not able to fellowship at church. This is the time people need to connect online. So I really encourage people to use those kind of tools. Social media, we joked earlier that social media is social. And we mm -hmm. forget that for some reason. You know, pastors particularly are, are guilty of posting on, you know, posting on their social media platforms and then walking away. But I encourage pastors, let's go see who responds. And then maybe step in there and respond to those guys. I'll tell you a quick story that sounds kind of cheesy, but I actually had a pastor, a very successful pastor, call me in North Car from North Carolina a, a year or so ago and said that that week, he just called me out of the blue and said, I just wanted to tell you that last week we had a woman who asked a question on Facebook. He said, now, I never respond to people that you know, co comment on our Facebook page and comment about my post. He said, I post, but I don't respond to people. He said, but somehow I felt led that maybe it was a kind of a doctrinal question and maybe I should respond. And so I did. He said, well, lo and behold, she shows up on Sunday. Oh, and he wow. said, then on top of that, to my surprise, at the end of the service, she comes down, she comes forward and accepts Christ at the end of the wow. service. And he said, and then on Monday, I got word that she'd been killed that morning in a car crash, uh, auto accident. Oh my and he goodness. said, it sounds like over spiritual or kind of corny somehow, but he said, I just think what had, what would have happened had I never reached out to her and never responded to her on social mm -hmm. media. And so every case is not that dramatic, certainly. However, I do think we underestimate the power of what we can do simply by responding to people on social media and actually engaging in a social conversation. I've seen people led to Christ. I've seen people directed to churches. I've seen all kinds of things happen on social media. And, and here's the thing. We live in a, a world today where a housewife in Toledo can create so much momentum on social media, she can bring down a major corporation. Wow. We've seen that numerous times. We just had a leader of one of the largest Christian organizations in the country step down because of his behavior. And the truth is, his behavior had been happening for years. The mm -hmm. news media had reported it. People had talked about it. But guess what started the actual decline? And that was a single social media post. And that yeah. started the dominoes falling. And it created such momentum that he finally was, the board was finally forced to act and he was forced to step down. So you really see the power of social media. So if we could just take, embrace that and use it for good, it's really interesting to see what could potentially happen. I remember earlier on, I had someone on Twitter that I was following, you know, just trying to check out Twitter way back when. Yeah. And uh, the person said, I don't know that I want to get up and have all this Jesus business in my Twitter feed every way, every week. And so my response to the person was, oh, well, I think I found you interesting. Well, all of a sudden they didn't want to disconnect because I thought they were interesting. Yeah, um, so, and I wasn't lying. And, and, you know, and Phil, you, you know, to prove out what you were just saying about social media being social, as I've uh, sent out tweets and Facebook posts to promote uh, this webinar, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've followed you through Instagram. You've been in Washington, D.C., and uh, New Orleans and Greenville, South Carolina today, you were very faithful to, to like my posts and, and, to, and to retweet them. And I thought, well, you know, that's, that's encouraging to me that, uh, that, you know, Phil's... Well, it is. And let me say this, pastors, and this is an important thing, um, Alan, we, we, when you think about a church social media platform, you know, it's good to have them. It's good to have your church social media platforms. But the truth is, People like to follow people. So mm -hmm. the pastor, in almost every case, will have more influence than the church feed. I even encourage the youth director, the communications director, the evangelism director, the executive pastor, the small groups leader. I encourage the leaders on the church team to think about how they can use social media to advance the cause of Christ and advance the cause of the church and the message of the church. Because people ultimately like to follow people. So, you know, the church feed is great, but it's more like a megaphone announcing, you know, the Christmas pageants coming up next month or just a different vacation Bible school starts in a few weeks, those kind of things. But a personal feed, a personal platform can have so much more influence because that people want to engage with that. So I would just encourage everybody listening here, you know, don't just think about social media as a way to talk to your family and friends. 
think about it as a way you can connect people with the gospel and as a representative of your church, how you can engage people and how you can reach out to them and start those kind of God conversations that could eventually really reap a harvest. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Because I think, you know, people do need to know that we're, you know, we're authentic, that we, we, we walk the talk. We're not, we're not pretending to be anything other than, you know, who the person that Christ redeemed. I think that that's also means a little discipline though, Alan, that means we can't oh. jump on politics and rip people to shreds. No, you know, it means we can't, you know, be, get ugly uh, about some issue on social media. If we're going to reflect the church, we're going to reflect the gospel. We have to have integrity in all of that and be sensitive about how we respond to people and how, you know, the messages that we share. Yeah, no, you're exactly right, because I've seen a lot of ugliness and a few people that uh, on Facebook, I've uh, appreciated the unfollow for 30 days, because some of it is just obnoxious. And the reality is, you're not convincing anybody. Right. They're already convinced. They're already in their tribe. They're going to vote for the leader of their tribe. And, you know. Well, so. and the statistically, <laughs> when it comes to email, 77% of emails are misunderstood. So it mm. probably translates to social media pretty accurately. So the truth is, most people are going to misunderstand. I, I find people all the time are misunderstanding statements I make on social media. So I have to be really sensitive about what I say, and particularly on my Instagram feed. I mean, I just disregard everything I say about social media when it comes to my Instagram feed because I just have fun with it. But mm -hmm. even then, you're going to offend people or people are going to misunderstand. So you just have to be really sensitive about how you position things. Yeah, and I do have to say, Phil's a pretty good follow on Instagram. You, you come up with some pretty humorous things. So, all right, so let's get back to this because pastors are in dismay because it used to be the scorecard was we counted nickels and noses. And that's how we knew we were doing well. Now, you know, a third of the church may be gathering in person. Other places, nobody's, nobody's gathering in person. Nobody's able to. How do we know we're being successful online? Because we have great, great one second views and 10 second views and one minute views. But are they doing the dishes and watching the church? Does that count? What, is, what, what should our metrics be? It's a really, really great question. And to a great extent, we don't have perfect metrics to understand this. And I, I encourage people, don't get hung up on metrics. I mean, for instance, I know a lot of pastors, I, I talked to a pastor recently that had five people watching his live stream uh, last week. And he got so discouraged. He said, I'm just going to shut it down. What, what's the point? And I said, wait a second. Mm. If five new visitors came to your church on Sunday, you'd be thrilled to death. You'd roll out the red carpet. You'd welcome them. You'd sit and chat with them for a while. I said, so why do you not consider those five people watching online to be just as important and just as valuable? And now here's the thing. If we embrace the online audience, it's, it's interesting. Helping churches with live streams for a decade or more. And what's interesting is so many churches will put up a camera in the balcony and just say, fine, we're going to give them a glimpse of the service. However... I've discovered that when pastors are intentional about engaging that online audience, dramatic things happen. We've worked with at least three churches uh, ourselves that are getting as much, uh, before the shutdown, they were getting as much as a third of their total financial income just from their live stream audience. In fact, I had a pastor of 6,000 member, uh, 6, member church that called me one day last summer and said, I just wanted to call and let you know that this Sunday, our live stream audience gave more financially than our 6,000 member congregation. Now that happened because that pastor engages that audience. Uh, during the praise and worship, he'll walk over to a camera, look at that camera, and just welcome, introduce himself, welcome that live stream audience, engage with them, talk to them a little bit about what's coming up in the service. And as a result, those people feel they're a part of that church. They feel like it's like a campus experience more than just some kind of a live stream. So they feel obligated to be involved and want to help. So it's really a matter of how intentionally do we take that audience? We need to understand that it, we live in this transient world. And so not everybody's going to come to your church. In fact, I've, it's funny. I've had pastors call me and say, I spent the last six months telling people how awesome online worship is. How in the world am I ever going to get them back in the building? Yeah. Um, and that's another conversation. But the truth is, I think a certain number won't come back. I think we're going to see a significant number of people probably show up two to three times a month and maybe watch online that fourth time or maybe a fourth and maybe a third and fourth time. So it's interesting to see the transition happening. But I think the bottom line is, that is a legitimate congregation out there. And whoever they are, they may be international. They may be college students away at school, want to check in on the church or people who used to be members who moved away or people like me. I mean, I'm, I'm traveling all the time. And every Sunday, my wife and I, in whatever hotel room we may be in, she'll pop up on our laptop 
and we'll watch our church's live stream. So I just think we need to be intentional about engaging with those people and honoring them as a legitimate audience. And, and we'll see remarkable things happen. There's no question about it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's giving us access to people that, I mean, our whole world has been disrupted. Just an example. I had a pastor about uh, two months into the shut, maybe three months into the shutdown from uh, Alabama called me. He, he preaches to 900 people. He's in normal service. He has 900 church members. And he said, Phil, I just needed to tell you that before the shutdown, we had eight subscribers to our YouTube channel. He mm. said, now we have 23,000. He said, 1.5 million people have seen my Easter message. And he said, we average 30,000 people a week watching online. He said, I feel guilty saying this as a pastor, but I have no desire to go back into the building. He said, we're making a greater impact, not only in Alabama, but around the country and throughout the world than we ever made when we were actually in our building. So you see what happens when people really wholeheartedly embrace this thing. And this was, it's a 900 member church, so it's large, but it's not a mega church by any means. No. And they're limited in their resources. So just gives you an idea of what could happen out there if you really embrace this. Yeah, no, it's it's really remarkable to hear and to see some things that have been happening. And there, you know, there's a whole other camp that's wondering if their churches are going to survive and if they're going to make yeah. it. But, but again, it's a matter of, you know, it's it's a time to experiment. We can try some some different things. Now, tell us a little bit about this. You, you won't appreciate this. This wasn't in the notes I sent you. I, I used to say that I was a believer in the separation of church and television. Um, but, and the reason for that was some very genuine people were not coming across in a genuine way. And they were misunderstood. So when when you're reaching out to people online or in your experience, what helps people convey that they are genuine people? It's not something that's put on. It's not something that they're making up. They're not in it for the bucks. You know, what, what, what conveys being genuine? Well, I, A, I've been at this a really long time. And so not only have I worked with great churches like Hillsong and Life Church mm -hmm. in Oklahoma City, but I go back to the Billy Graham, Oral Roberts days and doing primetime global television specials. And that's a great, that's a great point. Um, and I think a lot of it is just being who you are. I knew one mm -hmm. television personality, a pastor uh, that he had what we call the TV voice, that as soon as that red camera light came on, he switched to a voice like this that was much bigger and deeper and godlike. <laughs> it was just this mental switch he made. And it wasn't him, but even his daughter said, Dad, turn off the TV voice, just be you. <laughs> and so sometimes we feel like we have to be somebody else. And I always tell pastors and church leaders, just be you. And it may be as a dynamic preacher. It may be somebody sitting at that bistro table in a stool just sharing. It may be somebody out on the city streets talking, but I think finding that authentic voice of who you are. And that, by the way, Alan, is important with social media. Very often, mm -hmm. you know, I tell pastors, I get so sick of pastors that are just constantly posting scripture or quotes. And I'm thinking, you know, if I see one more today is the day the Lord hath made, let us rejoice and be glad in it graphic, I'll blow my brains out. And that's not to say scripture isn't important, but what I'd rather see is an intimate behind the scenes look at what your life is like. I can tell you this, the single, in my experience, the single greatest reason people follow church leaders is because they want to know what their life is like. In most churches today, even if you're running 50 or 75 or 100 people, you don't have time to go for coffee with every single person that calls. And yet through social media, you allow your church members to have a really intimate behind the scenes look at what your life is like. For instance, I want to see when you're preparing your message and you're frustrated, you're struggling, maybe go on live and share on Instagram live or Facebook live and just talk a little bit about that. I'd love to see what's going on in your mind before you walk out to do the funeral of a church member you've loved for many, many years. Um, those kind of moments, people just love to see. So it's those, it's not the contrived, cool graphics, little video clips. They're okay, but the real genuine article is when people share from their heart about what's going on in their life and their ministry. I've seen some remarkable things come out of that. So just keep in mind, you don't have to have a social media team and a graphics team. As long as you're real in mm -hmm. sharing what your life is really like and what you're struggling with and your victories and your defeats, you'll be amazed at how many people would suddenly start to want to follow you. Yeah, and, and sometimes people think, well, I'm not that interesting. But I mean, the reality is everybody has a story and stories are interesting. 
totally. And you could tell that story. So I'm glad I didn't tell you the thing about my separation of church and television before. You might have turned down this interview. <laughs> well, yeah, that's not to say television has been used in some really terrible ways. I mean, there's. Well, you know. really, you know, we, we jokingly, I, I don't say this publicly much, but our, our team at Cook Media Group, we jokingly tell people we help Christ, our job is to help Christians not suck at media. And if you've ever seen much Christian television and Christian movies, you know, we'll be busy for the rest of our life. There's a lot of work to be done out there. Yeah. I think it's but, just because people are good people. They just yeah. don't really know how to use it effectively. And that's so important. And that's unfortunate. But I know even from the small group world and, you know, encouraging people that maybe I wouldn't have chosen to lead a small group that we had a saying for a while that uh, the saying was that crazy people have a unique ability to minister to other crazy people. So, and everybody needs Jesus. So there we go. Hey, um, you just came out with it this year. Um, it's a beautiful book and yeah. it's available on Kindle. It's available. Um, yeah. Now you're doing something different with this book. You're not making any money off of this book. No, it's, it's available on Amazon just because publishers want to do that. But we've really put it at our website, influencematters.com. We have a, we start, we, this is an interesting thing. It might be interesting. Um, at any given moment, I have eight to 10 requests from Christians internationally to come and teach media. Mm -hmm. You can't believe the passion of, of believers in India and Asia and Africa and South America. They're just really jumping into this and churches and ministry organizations want to use media to reach the Muslim world and to reach the non-Christian world. So I've always got these invitations, but in most cases, they can't afford to bring a team over. So we launched a nonprofit a number of years ago called the Influence Lab, influencelab.com. People can check it out. And um, to help raise money to help send media professionals internationally to train Christians to use media more effectively. And so we decided to make this book um, a, kind of a, a donation gift for people who are contributing. So you can go to influencematters.com. And if you give a, a, a financial gift to Influence Matters, uh, it's a, it's a write-off. It's a donation. Plus, we'll send you a copy of the book. So I'd encourage people to go check it out. And if you happen to want to order a bunch of them for your team, we'll make a deal. There's a place where you can email us and we'll talk to you about that. But we just want to get the word out. And the book is really designed to be a reference book for mm -hmm. church leaders, pastors, ministry leaders, communication people. And it's not the how-to. It's not technical how to build a website or how to you know, create a social media campaign. It's more the why, as you mentioned earlier. It's really a reference on everything from social media to how to what your website should be like to publishing even how to speak to a digital de generation what pastors need to know about speaking to a di digital generation how mm -hmm. communication has changed over the years so it really helps and, and you can jump around in the book it's not designed to be read straight through as i said it's a reference so i think it's just a great tool to have on a pastor or ministry leader's desk so they can jump in there and ask questions. You know, funny, one of the things in the book that I talk about is my belief that your church website is not designed for church members. It should mm -hmm. never be designed mm -hmm. for church members. I mean, trust me, your church members never go to your website. They know where the church is. They know who the pastor is. They know when the Christmas program is. They know your address. They don't ever go to your website. But in my experience, virtually 100% of new visitors will check you out online before they visit, which means two things. Number one, if that's the tipping point, if your website is what makes them finally decide to come visit, it ought to be one of the best things you do. And number two, it ought to be 100% geared toward what do I need as a new potential visitor to push me over the edge to make me have a compelling reason to want to come and visit. So mm -hmm. I would encourage people listening today or watching, just think in terms of how you could reshape your church website and focus it 100% on potential new visitors that don't know anything about your church uh, and give them a compelling reason to come and visit. So the book is filled with little tidbits like that that I think really make people think and, and uh, kind of give them an idea of what their focus really needs to be when it comes to communication and media for church. I have a friend who's a longtime guy in advertising, and he used to say, what is it with preachers and chiropractors? They both have to have their pictures in all of their ads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good point. And real estate agents are very similar. Yeah, there you go. All right, so we have a few questions now. Yeah. So um, Alan Jenkins asks, uh, should churches' online services be all over the place? So a church online campus, YouTube, Instagram, Vimeo, uh, should we cover all of those? That's a great question. Uh, that's a great question. And here's my, here's my, my recommendation for that. Re if you don't remember anything else I say today, remember this. It's not how we want to reach them. It's how they want to reach us. We need to be prepared for 
meeting them wherever they are. So some like Facebook, some like YouTube, some people want to go to your church website. Now here's what we've discovered about those platforms. I recommend for your website, for instance, the church online platform that life.church creates out of Oklahoma City. It's really a stable platform. It allows you to have a chat room. The YouVersion Bible is connected. You can upload your sermon notes. There's a lot of opportunities for engagement. And but it's free, right? It's free, totally free. Yeah. yeah, any church can download it absolutely free. And that way you're driving people to your website. I might say you're putting people on your church website to find all the other great stuff that's on there. But here's the thing. More people will go to YouTube or Facebook, but they'll stay engaged longer on the church online platform on your ah. website. So it's just something we've discovered out there over and over and over again. So people are used to using YouTube. They're certainly used to using Facebook and they're comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, they'll come in and out, in and out. They're just in there for a short period. But the ones that come to the church online platform generally are more committed and will stay longer. So I just say be available in as many platforms as you possibly can. Certainly the big three would be uh, YouTube, Facebook, and your church website. But if wherever you want to be, get it on Instagram if you want. What, as I say, it's how they want to reach us, and we should be available to meet them wherever they are and engage with them on any of those platforms. I'd like to personally see some TikTok sermons, but I don't think pastors could narrow it down that far. <laughs> yeah, well, they could dance. That's yeah, great. there you go. Well, <laughs> and it, we won't go there. All right, so Amanda asks, how do you see evangelism happening strategically through digital ministry? Well, let me tell you this. Um, by population, I've said this a number of times in some of my talks and conferences, that by population right now, Facebook is the largest country on the planet. Yeah. The question, though, is who's planning churches in that country? Who's sending mm. missionaries to that country? I, I, I think the greatest request, my, my, the, really the, my dream is, that we stop thinking about missions just in geographical terms and also think about missions in terms of digital, in, in the context of digital terms. How do we reach this online country? How do we reach this largest planet on, on the face of the earth? And I think there's a lot of ways to do it. And I think we start with empowering church members just to use social media to share the gospel. It's interesting that um, I'm, I'm baffled that pastors don't get up in the pulpit every single Sunday and say, hey, if this church has meant something to you, if you've enjoyed the service, talk about it on social media. Get out mm -hmm. there and share it out there. How hard is that? It's not hard at all. Just let people know. And I'll tell you, even if you only had 20 people in your church and they all started sharing about this church on social media, just the exponential nature of that shareability would mm -hmm. be huge. A huge conversation would start happening about your church. So number one, empower your people to start talking about it on social media. I'm a big believer in creating resources. If you have a graphic designer at your church, create an online Dropbox, or you could do it a number of ways that would give them graphics to use from the pastor every week and ideas from his message and themes that church members could actually start sharing. We, th we think for some reason that Everything in a church has to be shared by our designated social media person. But the truth is, if you had everybody in your church talking about the church and sharing them that pastor's message from that week, it would create some amazing momentum. So start by empowering those kind of people. And, and there are other ways to do it. I mean, there's certainly ministries that are online that are really focused on helping share the gospel. I, I've done some posts on my blog at philcook.com about how to share your faith online. And I do think we need to up that game. I, I don't, mm -hmm. but I wrote a book a, a few years ago with Jonathan Bach called The Way Back, how Christians blew our credibility and how we get it back. And one of the things we discussed in the book is we don't have a marketing problem in the church. We have a Salesforce problem. We still believe in the product. I mean, it'd be like going to the headquarters of Pepsi and discovering everybody there is drinking Coke. If you look at the <laughs> if you look at the statistics of how many Christians actually show up in church and read the Bible and pray and give, it's pretty it's horrifyingly low. And so until we really start embracing these things and step up and start sharing the story, I don't think we're going to make much of an impact in the culture. Yeah. Well, you're in South Carolina today, so you better be drinking cheer wine. Um, <laughs> My favorite drink of all time. There you go. I grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina. And, mm -hmm. I, and so just... One of my great missions in Los Angeles is seeking out places that sell cheer wine, and it's really hard. Go. And by the way, for those aren't who aren't from here, cheer wine is not wine. It's a it's a very <laughs> cool luck. You have to be specific. It's a cherry. It's kind of like a cherry coke, right? 
Yeah, it's a, and it's Quick a, Trip. Quick Trip has a pretty good cheer wine slushy. So just to oh, you know. I don't know. Um, yeah. some, so some, all right. So uh, Mike asked. He said we're developing a midweek follow up service for people that have watched us on Sunday. So what steps should we take to encourage people to talk back to us? In other words. How can we get them to comment back with questions we ask? First of all, ask. I mean, I'm sure you're probably doing that to some degree already, but I, I, people, one thing I learned on producing so much television in my career is you really have to tell people what to do. Sometimes mm -hmm. people are often hesitant to respond. And so be really direct. Don't be afraid to be direct and just encourage people. We want your questions. We really want you to make notes. Um, we want that, ex that exchange, that conversation online. And so, First of all, engage with people. I think that's important. But the, the second thing to do is having an email conversation during the week to set them up for this meeting. Don't let them come to the meeting cold. Hmm. Let them know ahead of time. Is there homework? Is there a scripture we're studying? Is there something, a, a doctrine or some theological concept we're talking about? Give them some prep time. And it, when you can do that, suddenly people start seeing that they, they ask more questions if they've had more prep time. So, and, and you'll always get people that aren't even remotely interested of engaging, just like if you have a dinner party, not everybody's going to be talk, talkative. But I think it's important that we, we kind of encourage people and train them. Now, this is something to think about. I wish churches spent more time training people how to use the media wisely. So you could have classes at your church and really help people. Under, let me tell you something. People live under the bondage of addiction to their phones, to social media. There's a, there's a documentary right now on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. I'm sure many people have heard about it. It's, a, it's horrifying and it's, it's a powerful documentary that, lets, that really helps you understand just how addictive and, and it's designed to be addictive. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the great bulwark, bulwarks out there is to use the church to help people understand how to wisely use media, particularly when it comes to their children. I'm constantly talking to my kids about our grandkids and how much screen time they get. Mm -hmm. It's funny in the social dilemma in that documentary, how many high level people in Silicon Valley don't even let their kids have phones. Yeah. Don't yeah. let them have social media accounts because they understand the power. So yeah, we should be out there teaching people how to use that because, you know, it goes back to saying if you were a pastor a hundred years ago and said, well, I'm a pastor, but I don't do books. Now, that's, that's like saying today I'm a pastor, but I don't do online. I don't do digital. I think today we have to just embrace that that's part of how to communicate with the culture and, and we need to be better at it. Yeah, no, and you're exactly right. And I look at the, you know, I read the autobiography of Dr. Billy Graham a number of years ago. It's 700 and some pages. It's hard to hold it up, but I, I stuck it out to the end. At every wave of new technology, radio, he was on radio, TV, he was on TV, internet, he was on internet. And every wave of technology that came through, he was right there, ready to go. Started a magazine, Christianity Today, in 1956, I think, to be able to reach people. And I'm passionate about this because, I mean, 1994, I had an online small group on CompuServe. Wow. And well, with a, a dial-up modem. <laughs> well, you are a pioneer. <laughs> I, I, I may be the grandfather of online small groups, but we had a member of our group. We'll call him Greg because that was his name. And he came to Christ as a result of that little message board and the chat, no video, no voices, no pictures, wow. none of that. One last question from uh, Tiffany. She said they're moving to pre-record the service. They're going to pre-record the service and then do it online. She's a little worried about the gap between the in-person service and the online service. Any tips of you know how to smooth that over or should they do just be different or what should that look like? That's a, that's a question a lot of pastors are facing right now in communication people at church because during the shutdown, you guys, and by the way, let me just say, uh, if you're a communication or media person at church, bravo, you have done a brilliant job. You need a vacation, a long one over the last six months because I know how hard you've worked. In fact, it's funny, and, and I live in Burbank in, in, in Los Angeles, and I can look out my, my office window and see Walt Disney Studios, Warner Brothers Studios, Universal Studios, and guess what? For the last six months, they've been ghost towns. There's nothing going on over there, which means for the last six or eight months, the church has produced more media than Hollywood has. I think this may be the first time <laughs> in history, but that's really quite remarkable. But what we're finding is that during this last six or eight months, you guys have put a lot of effort into that live stream because that's all you had. Mm -hmm. In many cases, you were pre-producing it and doing a bang-up job, and it was really remarkable. So now pastors are thinking, wait a second, as people come back to the church, 
do I just start filming that or should I still come in on Thursday or Friday and shoot a special message for live stream and edit that like we were doing a television program and launching that as a live stream, which is, we put more effort into, it's higher quality. We, it's really amazing. And so I still have church clients that we work with that are doing both. They're coming in and doing a live stream on Thursday or Friday and still then doing their service, but not broadcasting that live live. And then other churches who are saying, we just can't do both. It's killing us. We, we have to actually consolidate. So they're going back to the live church service. And there will be some gaps. You, you're not going to make that magnificent pre-taped transition to suddenly being live, live without a few you know bumps in the road. But try to take what you've learned from that pre-taping experience as far as what's working and what's not working. Still stay in there tight because... You know, even as we do this transition, a significant audience is still going to be at home. So don't just automatically go back to the old way of doing it, which set a camera up in the balcony or shoot a wide shot. And I would tell the pastor, look, keep communicating with that camera. If there's a centerline camera in the middle of your congregation out there, they don't know when the pastor looks at that camera, they don't know he's looking at the camera. They just think he's looking at the audience. So have him refer to that camera. Remember, when he every time he refers to that camera, just like I'm doing now, it's engaging that online viewer. Mm -hmm. And the, it doesn't take away anything from the live people that are there in the actual building. They don't know, they can't tell. So really encourage your pastor to keep looking at the camera. Certainly he, we want him to look at the live people too, but keep engaging with that live stream audience because that's so incredibly important. Well, yeah. Phil, thank you so much. It's been so good to have you. And so what's interesting to me, guys, is Phil and I met literally five minutes before this webinar started. Yeah. And so how this came about was we were mentioning, he mentioned his book on Instagram. And I said, this is what churches and pastors need right now. And he said, I'd like to have put this in the hands of more pastors. And then I sent an email to his uh, staff and said, let's do it. So here we are. But uh, the book is at influencematters.com. You can make a donation. This is my copy that's signed. He yeah. sent me the uh, PDF of it uh, just to check it out. I liked it so well. And like you said, you can skip around. You know, I got interested at the beginning when it was kind of talking about some of the tech. And then it got to the chapter about leading creative people. And I thought, well, I don't want to read about, you know, managing all those crybabies. So then I skipped on to the next section. Um, anyway. Just so, alienated uh, half your audience. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> maximize your influence uh, at influencematters.com or you can check it out on Amazon. But Phil, thank you very much. This has been very helpful, very encouraging to pastors. And log back in. I'll also put it up on my YouTube channel. You can pass it around to all of your friends um, because I think this is a message we need to get out. Because yeah. I was talking to a Lutheran pastor a couple of weeks ago, and I said, um, I don't want to make too much of this, but I said, this moment digitally seems like a lot of like what happened 500 years ago with the printing press. Yeah. And so I felt validated hearing this from a Lutheran pastor. He says, oh yeah. He said, this could be a digital reformation. Yeah. And, um, you know, if it had been anybody else, I wouldn't have, you know, put that much credibility. Well, and, and even before the <laughs> shutdown, I, met, I spoke at a pastor's conference in Oklahoma a couple of years ago and met a pastor who preaches to 700 people on Sunday, but he has 10,000 people watching him on his live yeah. stream. So, and this is before the shutdown. So it's just a matter of if we engage them and treat them like a real church member, they'll respond. So I, I you're exactly right. This is the moment to take this seriously. I think it is. I think it is. So thank you, Phil. Go out and get thank your you. uh, cheer wine, non-alcoholic slushy. Oh. <laughs> and uh, it's not alcohol. And uh, thank you for being with us. And thank, thank you, thank you for all of you for sitting in. And I hope you're encouraged. And I hope you see the opportunity in this crazy year. All right. So God bless you guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today. You can connect with Phil Cook on social media through his website, philcook.com, that's cook with an E, philcook.com, as well as on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Go to the show notes at alanwhite.org forward slash episode eight to get Phil's usernames for these social media platforms. If you enjoy the Exponential Group's podcast, please tell your friends and leave a positive rating wherever you access this podcast. Until next time, this is Alan White helping you take the guesswork out of groups.